the VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. Whether you're a veteran voice actor, just starting out, or don't even know how to set a level, we're here to help you avoid the pitfalls along your voiceover path to success. The VO Meter is brought to you by Voice Actor Websites, Studio Bricks, Global Voice Acting Academy, JMC Demos, and Sennheiser. The VO Meter is produced in part using Source Connect, made by source-elements.com. And now, your hosts, Paul Stefano and Sean Daly. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 72 of the VO Meter. Measuring your voiceover progress. Our guest today is freelance voiceover director, producer, and coach Hugh P. Klitsky. But before that, it's time for our... VoiceOver Extra brings you the VO Meter Reference Levels. Uh, seriously, guys, that's the best you could come up with? Hey, it's your show. Awesome. So, what do you have going on, Sean? Uh, let's see. It's been a bit of a slower month, but it's a lot of the usual stuff. My regular e-learning projects, doing a crap ton of workouts for GVAA. I think we've got about three a week this month. And it's been really nice, actually, because a lot of... We actually had, or one of our coaches had to cancel this week, and so I volunteered to lead the workout. And I was like, if you guys don't want to come, I understand. And then everyone's like, nah, man, we love you. Like, we'll come anyways. And so Nobody asked for their money back? <laughs> nobody asked for their money back. Nobody quit the membership. It was very touching. But it's been really nice because it's like, I feel like I've been able to kind of articulate a lot of what I've learned over the last couple of years. And it's just like, I'm seeing... Basically, I'm, I'm blowing members' minds more often. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't want to sound like arrogant or anything like that, but I'm just like, I feel like I'm finally able to articulate some of the things I've learned and some of the things that I practice in my own acting in a way that's accessible and is really helping people kind of reach new, um, new pinnacles in their performances. So just being, just feeling a little bit proud about that. Very cool. Congrats on that. Thank you. And then one other actual VO gig that's pretty cool is that a friend of mine, um, a fellow Seattle talent, actually referred me to be on her uh, a roster of corporate training talent. So from a, I can't say who it is because everything's kind of up in the air right now, but it's from a well-recognized client in the area, and I'm really looking forward to working with her next month. Very cool. All right. What about you? Uh, excuse me while I suck down some water. Well, I'm a little under the weather, so... My kids went back to school in person for the first full week, and within like three days, we were all sick. Kind <laughs> of took for granted how the isolation was not only good for COVID prevention, but every other kind of sickness, too. None of us had been sick for like an entire year. And then within like three days of the, of the kid being back in school, we all got a cold, so I'm just getting over that. I know. You have to wonder if the lack of exposure has just compromised our immune systems. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about that, too, in the house. I'm sure it has. But anyway, I still was able to work most of the time, except for about a two-day hiatus. So I did a, I'm working on a new podcast, which is kind of cool. Um, I'm not sure if I can share the content yet, but it'll be out soon where I'm doing the narration for all the episodes along with a partner. And I keep my medical narration is still going on. I did a couple of scripts, including such classics as Botox, cosmetic use, uh, cellulite, intermittent fasting, and priapism, which as we all know from the litany of ads, is an erection that lasts for four hours or longer. <laughs> <laughs> but they always warn you about. <laughs> yes, they do. And it is a medical emergency. So if you have that, please get it checked out after watching my video. <laughs> and the last thing I want to talk about is my son, my middle son, who just turned 13, just did an animated short that's supposed to be a full season of a show called Three Dumplings, like three, the, D, the letter D, like 3D dumplings. And it's about pet rocks. So he and I did that together. He was the voice of the main character, Pierre, and I was the father slash the big mountain. So basically, I just had to make a bunch of groaning noises, which was pretty easy for me. But uh, <laughs> right, we so got that rock from... biter from Never Ending Story. Yeah, actually, kind of like that. So as we talked about offline, we got that job from VO Planet. So thanks again to Kevin West, the owner of VO Planet, because they offer free kids accounts. And this person just found. My son's demo, hired him around the spot, and booked a job. So thanks again to VO Planet. Very cool. 
So obviously I don't have any kids that I can exploit, but if you do, there are sites and some agents even will actually support actors that have talented children that are interested in doing this work. And so very often you'll find people who provide these services like agents or demo producers will offer discounts, namely, or even, um, for example, free demo hosting because let's face it, their voices change on like pr fairly regularly. Uh -huh. So um, they understand that and they understand that it can be prohibitive or cost prohibitive to get new demos, to get new tapes out every year, right? So if you have children that are interested in doing voiceover or other forms of acting and you already have some of those industry connections, take advantage of them. Your, they, your contacts might be willing to help you out. Yeah, we're going through that with my, my younger son right now with the voice changing. His demo is when he was five, and he sounds super cute, but now his voice has changed, and he also has full braces, with including headgear he has to wear. So his his embouchure is a mess mess right now. He can't even speak, really, without without um, lisping. So we're going to wait completely, and he's actually mm -hmm. not even working with one of his agents right now because we told him, he he just can't do it. He sounds he sounds awful, honestly. He can't he can't do professional work right now. So we have to wait till the the braces are off, and then we'll do a new demo and get him going again. But it'll be worth it. I mean, you don't want to be like, hey, hey, buddy, I know you sound terrible right now, but this would be great for your self esteem. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the two that I know of that do free membership as far as pay to play are Bedalgo and. Vo Planet. So if you have young kids, those two definitely do free accounts for kids under, I think it's 16. It's definitely up to 15. So take advantage of that if you can. So that wraps up all we have for VO Meter reference levels, but I particularly have a slew of questionable gear purchases, and we'll get to that in just a second after a word from our sponsors. Questionable Gear Purchase. Let me tell you about Studio Bricks. Studio Bricks designs and creates the highest performing portable sound isolation booths. Our professionally perfected acoustics enhances your performance and takes your recordings to their maximum quality from your home studio. Forget about managing noise conflicts with your neighbors and family. Pursue your passion for voiceover on your own time and on your own terms. And boy, am I taking advantage of that right now. We are in full <laughs> bloom Brood X cicada mode right now. So if you stand outside the booth, just in the regular house with all the walls surrounding it, it sounds like a train going by. It's just, it's just weird. It's actually higher pitch. It's, it's more like a, like train wheels going across the track. So it's this constant screech basically all day. And without the Studio Bricks, I'd be done for. So thanks to Studio Bricks for sponsoring the show. Yeah, I feel you. I haven't had to deal with it in a couple of years, but when I lived in Okinawa and Nagasaki, it's, it was every spring, every spring and summer. It's just like, it's just like a bunch of, like a million high-pitched didgeridoos. Like, it's ridiculous. Well, those are the, the yearly ones, the annual cicadas. The ones that we have here are periodicals, and this particular brood only comes out every 17 years. And when they do, there's billions of them. And I just found out that the epicenter basically is the state of Maryland, so... Wow. I'd, be, I'd be really hosed at the Studio Bricks. All right, so, Sean, have you made any questionable gear purchases over the last time period? I wish, man, but, I like, when you told me as many as you did, I figured I'll give you this episode, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. But I'm certainly, I mean, I'm, I'd be happy to talk about some things that I'm looking into, but I, I really want, like, tell us what you got, Paul. <laughs> all right, well, first of all, I wanted to look into a, a new interface that could help with, with producing the show, so... I bought a Zoom PodTrack P4. Did I ever talk about this? I can't remember. No, no. You had mentioned that we were looking into it, but I didn't know you pulled the trigger. Yeah, so I bought a Zoom PodTrack P4, which is a handheld recorder, basically made for podcasting. And it has really nice features, like a built-in mix minus and the ability to mute each mic. It has four mic inputs and the ability to bring in something over either a phone line, over a TRS cable, or a Bluetooth adapter, or just bring it over USB. But um, I found out it didn't, it didn't do the one thing that I needed to do, which is play back down the line. And <laughs> didn't need to buy that. So off that went. And I'm still rocking the same interface combination. It's and, bizarre because it's like you've got less expensive interfaces, like, say, the, the Yamaha AGO3 that's just, like, I've yet to find anything at that price that does it so easily. Right? I just, I don't know. I guess it's just not a desirable feature. But it's, and I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a very small use case that, that uses that feature. I use it all the time when I have the AGO6, but 
I use it all the time when I'm recording other people because just that flip of the switch allows you to play back down the line anything from your computer, and that's invaluable to me. Mm -hmm. And so for people who don't understand, like, the benefit of that, like, why would that be useful in at least your use case and maybe someone who isn't doing as much full-on production, maybe just working with direct sessions and stuff like that? Well, for me, it's the ability for someone who I'm recording. So I do a lot of remote recording of other people. And this would be helpful if you were producing something yourself or if you're working with a coach who wants to hear your takes. You need a way to be able to play what you just recorded. So the AGO3, the AGO6, allow, and they have a switch that goes from dry to a full mix and then a loopback. And the loopback is what makes that possible. So when I hit loopback on that switch and it's on the actual physical interface, it will play back anything that's in my computer. And that's how I play back stuff for these clients that I'm working with. I record them and then I play it back so they can hear their previous take and match their voice and or their room because sometimes their their setup is, is temporary and they have to set it up each day. So to make sure it sounds the same, I play, that, play back the, the recordings from the previous day to them. And I just haven't found anything else that does that so easily. Mm -hmm. I remember we were talking about, and I think you tried it too, the uh, the Evo 4 from Audient. I did. I and, which, which does have loopback, but it doesn't have that playback that we were looking for. Yeah, it'll, it'll capture the audio, which which is important for something like this. Like you and I could have done the podcast with the Evo, but again, it doesn't have a, an ability to play back down the line. Mm -hmm. And I will say that there is software solutions or there are software solutions to fix this problem. Like I know like there's actually a program called Loopback from I think Rogue Amoeba, Rogue Amoeba is yeah. what it's called. Or or Audio Hijack used those two in tandem. But again, we're just trying to find an actual hardware solution so we can push some actual buttons. And it, to be honest, it's almost the same price for some of these cheaper interfaces as it is for the software itself. Yeah. And I've learned that having the physical switch is helpful too. For instance, all the Steinberg interfaces have that same feature as a software software uh, item. So like mm -hmm. the Steinberg UR12 and, and UR22, you can do that with a, with a software button. And it, it is pretty, pretty seamless. You just click on the one program and hit the switch. But sometimes I'm doing this so fast that it's literally like being in a live situation. So I'll stop, roll back the, the, the pointer on the DAW, hit the switch, and then I can play back that quickly. Go Even using the mouse would take up more time than I'd want to have live with some of these people I'm working with so they don't waste their time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, brilliant. Yeah, those little microseconds add up for sure. Yeah, so that was the interface saga. And then I went and bought a whole bunch of mics because <laughs> I just always like to mess with the things I have. So I went and got a, let's see, the first one was a Aston Stealth, which is a dynamic mic made by the company Aston. And... It does have this really cool feature in that it has a built-in amplifier. So something like a cloud lift or a fed head, it's a proprietary item they have, but it's built into the mic. So it's about the same size as uh, a Rode Procaster or Podcaster in length and about the same width as well. But it has this built-in preamp. So you can flip on phantom power and it will give you the same sort of oomph that you would get from a cloud lifter or a fed head on a dynamic mic like a Shure SM7B or an RE20 built in. And and I really like that feature and it sounded great. To give you an idea, on the AG06, so I had the dial at about 5 o'clock, which is to say barely turned up at all, and it was loud enough to get about negative 6 on the meter. So that's an insane amount of gain with, with this feature engaged where I had the phantom power on. But even raw without the, the preamp engaged, I was still able to get a decent signal around negative 6 with the dial at about two. So it was a really hot mic, which is great if you're looking for a dynamic. But ultimately, it, it just didn't sound great in here because of the way this, this studio bricks is set up. And I've kind of figured out that in here, I really need a figure eight pattern. And I figured that out by trial and error a bit because I bought another mic in between. <laughs> I was, I was uh, going out to get some lunch last week and I drove right by Guitar Center, which is not too far from me. So I just stopped in to see what they had because sometimes they get some decent sales and used mics. So I found this blue baby bottle, an original, that was sitting in the case with the shock mount disconnected and it had no price. So I asked the salesperson how much it was and he said, I don't know, that thing's been sitting here for months. I have no idea how much it is. So they had to call in like three different people, including the manager, to find the price. And it turns out it didn't even have a price. Somebody must have taken it as a trade-in and never even put it in their system. So. It had no price whatsoever, so they had to actually 
make a purchase from their store as if they were buying it used from a from a, a customer and then could price it and they said uh we'll give it to you for 135 and i was like yeah absolutely that's a great price so that's way below that retail value <laughs> and i got it home started messing with it figured out the shock mount wasn't actually broken they just didn't know how to wire the little bands so it was in great shape and i put it in here and it was too boxy way too boxy so that's when i figured mm. out that like I was using with the MK8, I really need a figure eight pattern in this spot where I have the, the mic set up. Not because of any fault of the studio bricks, but just because of the way I have my desk set up and the monitors and the way things reflect, a figure eight is crucial. So then I bought a Warm Audio WA47 Junior, and that's a, a large diaphragm condenser modeled after the U47 from Neumann. And it doesn't sound exactly like it, I don't think. I've never used a U47 because it's, what, a $6,000 mic? something like that. But I like it a lot. That's what I'm using right now. And you've heard this speech from me before, so I don't know if I'll keep it, but it has a figure eight pattern. It's got a pad and it's got a, a high pass filter that rolls off at negative 70. And I really like the way it sounds. It's a bit darker than the MK8, which is not bad on me at all. But I like how this is just a little bit darker and it's helping eliminate some mouth noise that I tend to have. So I'll keep it for the time being and see what happens. But so far, so good. Very cool, very cool. And for those who don't know, I mean, the, the the baby bottle goes for like $400 new, and I'm sure like the classic version, maybe even more because it's harder to find, and I've heard that it sounds like, I don't know, I've heard a lot of reports that the, the newer uh, SL models from Blue, kind of with the glossy metallic sheen versus their previous models, aren't as, like, I don't know, people tend not to like them, as, except for the baby bottle, but... Um, and didn't you have one before, like before you got the studio bricks? The baby bottle? Yeah. Yeah, I had a newer one before. So I think this one was so old, it was an original Latvian one. It, so it was had no color whatsoever. It was all gray, which I think, oh, wow. which I think is different than the newer models that were made in America. So yeah, it was, it was worth trying out because it was a, a slight difference. Yeah, if you can, I mean, even the Spark too, like their affordable version, like they have... Um, if you're gonna get a spark, a excuse me, a spark, a bluebird, or a baby bottle, make sure it's the older version with the matte finish, right? And so, yeah, like, like I said, was. the newer ones tend to have a bit of a metallic sheen to it, and we'll say SL and have some additional features like a pad and a switch that you don't really need, uh, or high pass switch. But um, yeah, this had no yeah, switches, there's... which is another reason why me and the guitar center people are pretty sure it was the original. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it, and so. But yeah, they're they're good sounding mics, and if you can find one at a discount for a hundred, two hundred dollars, it's not a bad one to have. Yeah, so that's my my mic saga right now. There is one more I'm eyeing, which I think I told you about, is um, an, an SE uh, Electronics forty four hundred, twenty three hundred, or forty four hundred. Again, because those two have multiple polar patterns, so I'm interested to see if I can find one of those at a decent price. The forty four hundred kind of looks like a a CAD or a, uh, a Caddy 100 or an AKG. Oh, that's right, I bought it's an like AKG, too. they had a baby, too. yeah. <laughs> I almost forgot, I bought an AKG 314, too, <laughs> in between. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that, was, a, that was a deal I found locally on, on Craigslist, and it seemed like it was about half off. So I bought a, an AKG C314, which seems to be seated somewhere in the middle of the 214 and the 414, and I just didn't like the way it sounded at all. It just just didn't sound good on me, which sometimes happens, so that's gone, too. I'm sure it's better than the 214, but that's not saying a lot, so I don't know. Um, but interesting, I never heard about the 2300. I'm looking at it right now. If um, I often recommend the 2200, which is a single pattern version of this mic. It it's looks the like same this mic. one has additional patterns. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the same, the same mic, mic was, except yeah. it doesn't have the additional patterns. It's it kind of like, like the difference between the MK4 and MK8. It's basically the same capsule, just with more options. Wow, that's cool. I mean, I, I've, I've worked with a lot of talent who've used the 2300, and I know a friend of the podcast and amazing audio engineer, Emmett Andrews, or often recommends it as a poor man's TLM-103, just because it sounds, um, it's a mic that he has a lot of experience with and has similar characteristics, and he can work it the same way, basically. Oh, cool. Well, now you sold me. All right. Done. <laughs> Thanks, Emmett. There you go. Well, I know. I mean, uh, Bandrew from Podcastage loves the SE4400. As It's like, if you're looking for an affordable multi-pattern condenser, then it's definitely top of the list. But um, 
My my tastes are a little bit more expensive. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so anything else to talk about? You want to do anything or just let it go? We've been talking for 20 minutes. Like I said, there are things that I want to buy, but maybe I'll wait till I actually get some in the, the booth before I, like, fantasize about them. Anyways, um, so that wraps up questionable gear purchases for one day. Up next, we have our interview with Hugh P. Klitsky, so sit tight. We'll be right back. As a voice talent, you have to have a website. But what a hassle getting someone to do it for you. And when they finally do, they break or don't look right on mobile devices. They're not built for marketing and SEO. They're expensive. You have limited or no control. And it takes forever to get one built and go live. So what's the best way to get you online in no time? Go to voiceactorwebsites.com. Like our name implies, voiceactorwebsites.com just does websites for voice actors. We believe in creating fast, mobile-friendly, responsive, highly functional designs that are easy to read and easy to use. You have full control. No need to hire someone every time you want to make a change. And our upfront pricing means you know exactly what your costs are ahead of time. You can get your voiceover website going for as little as $700. So if you want your voice actor website without the hassle of complexity and dealing with too many options, go to voiceactorwebsites.com, where your VO website shouldn't be a pain in the you-know-what. How many times does this happen to you? You're listening to the radio when this commercial comes on, not unlike this one, and this guy starts talking, not unlike myself. Or maybe it's a woman that starts talking, not unlike myself, and you think to yourself, geez, I could do that. Well, mister, well, missy, you just got one step closer to realizing your dream as a voiceover artist, because now there's Global Voice Acting Academy. All the tools and straight-from-the-hip, honest information you need to get on a fast track to doing this commercial yourself. Well, not this one exactly. Classes, private coaching, webinars, home studio setup, marketing and branding help, members-only benefits like workouts, rate and negotiation advice, practice scripts, and more. All without the kind of hype you're listening to right now. Go ahead, take our jobs from us. We dare you. Speak for yourself, buddy. I like what I do. And you will, too, when you're learning your craft at Global Voice Acting Academy. Find us at globalvoiceacademy.com. Because you like to have fun. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our interview for today's episode. Our guest today is Hugh P. Klitsky. He's a voiceover coach, director, and producer in New York City. His coaching focuses on teaching the conversational read to voiceover professionals. He also directs auditions, teaches commercial technique, and voiceover self-direction. He writes that in conversational voiceover, you've got to adapt your vocal performance to fairly rigid forms and use them so fluently that listeners are unaware of their artificiality. For nearly 15 years, Hugh is the voiceover studio manager at Buckwald, New York. He's directed booking auditions for commercials, animation, ADR, politicals, podcasts, narration, games, audiobooks, promos, affiliate, trailers, e-learning, and industrials. To date, Hugh has directed over 125,000 auditions, and it's still counting. He's also written over 300 blog posts on voiceover, and he recently contributed an essay to the sixth edition of The Art of Voice Acting by James Allberger. Now he's writing two books at the same time. One compiles the ideas he's explored in his blog, and the other is on the conversational read itself. He's also been the head of sound for greats like Penn & Teller, an equity stage manager, producer at the Galapagos Art Space in Brooklyn, now Detroit, an award-winning composer and lyricist for theater, film, and digital media, a lecturer on music theory at SUNY Purchase, assistant to a Baroque trumpet scholar, a certified K-12 music teacher, and a two-time marathon finisher. So ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Hugh Klitsky. How are you doing, Hugh? I'm fine, thanks. I feel like there should be like a, like a pathetic whistling applause at the end of that. <laughs> you know, like finger snaps Golf or clap. something like that. Or you maybe know? like just throw me a cup of Gatorade or something. For like <laughs> yeah, well, you deserve it after reading all that out loud. I mean, come on, you know? It's your fault. You're just so versatile in, oh my God. in your I experience. Mean, it's not like... Although that's the long version of it all, sort of. But yeah, it's all in there. It's all in there. So like we joke, you have a very varied background. How exactly did you come to focus on VO? I didn't focus on it. I guess it focused on me. It was an accident. Well, the version of the story that I tell people when they really want to sit and listen, because we have an hour to burn, right, is that I was mixing the score. I was laying the score in for um, a film that I had composed the music to. And the director actually had had the job at Buckwald as the voiceover studio manager. And he had left that position to get married. 
And at the time I was looking around for something to do full time. And I said to the guy, I don't know if you can even help me with this, but what I want is a better day job than the day job I've got. Cause my day job sucks. <laughs> and at the time this was the mid two thousands and I was selling cell phones at radio shack. And needless to say, that was a interesting endeavor sometimes. And he looked at me and he said, okay, what about my old job? I said, I don't know what you do. What is that? And he told me, and I still really didn't know. But I went in and interviewed on a Friday at 9.30 in the morning. And they called me at 3 in the afternoon and they offered me the job. And I said, that seems great. And what do I do now? And I observed in their studio for a few weeks. I listened. I paid attention. There was another Asian at the time who trained all the successive studio managers. He had been the studio manager for about five years before becoming an agent. And I sat there and paid attention. And it was a process that I understood. And later I came to realize that all the individual facets in my bio, being a stage manager, having worked with celebrities, having an ear through composing, being able to take an abstract idea like sound and to concretize it through speech and conversation, all those things kind of fit together to feed into being a booth director, whatever term you like to use, in a high-pressure, high-intensity, high-volume environment, really worked well as a set. And I enjoyed every minute of the work that I did there, every day that I did it. That's fascinating. So you had told us offline that it was kind of by accident. and but Purely because- by accident. I out loud said to the guy, I'm looking for a, a gig, you know, a different gig. And he said, yeah. How about my gig? He heard me work in that studio, and I was like, sure, I guess. Not even knowing what I was getting into when I got in there. I had the privilege of hearing top flight New York voiceover talent at that particular time, in that particular place, when people really weren't auditioning from home yet, and everybody had to come in, and I was listening to 40, 60 people a day, sometimes scripts 10 different times, and really understanding how much interpretation went into those performances, how much perspective could be different when reading the same words. And I couldn't help but soak it all up. I swear for the first three months when I was on my own, finally there, the only direction I ever gave was faster, slower, and smile more. (laughs) Just because it just seemed to cover everything, but also I'm sitting there going, Yeah, but I listened a lot, paid attention, and began to understand who was doing what better, and then began to talk about what I heard and the way that I heard it, and they began to respond. And I did it for a long, long time. Well, now you're focusing primarily on teaching, as we talked about, and with your... Yeah, that's what I do, is the coaching, the teaching now, all of those kinds of things. That was the logical next step for me. Right. That I realized at a certain point, if I moved into coaching and teaching, which I had done intermittently and on the side when I was working at the agency, if I moved into that full time, I said, well, it would be a very different experience because instead of having to work in high volume with 60 people a day, with small interactions, I could really get into working with a talent very, very closely. It's different. They're related to each other, but they're still a really, really different process. I would get a different level of satisfaction from that. And that's one reason why I pursued the private coaching thing. Are you able to share some of the teaching techniques you use or the ways you like to work with talent one-on-one? Well, the first thing I always try to do is I try to understand where the talent is and why they've decided to come to me in the first place. When I started teaching some classes in the last six months, and my focus on the conversational read is fairly new. I had been coaching people who had come to me and said, I want to change my read. And I would say, okay, you have to show me what you can do. And then they would do it for me. And I'd say, okay, great. I think you could do this, this, and this. And then there might be a goal like, let's produce a demo at the end. I had people come to me saying, I have booked this job, but 
but I'm not feeling entirely confident going into the first session. Can you work with me on that material? And I said, sure, absolutely. But the conversational read as a focus for me began to come from professionals approaching me after they had seen me teach and they said, I liked the way that you engaged, even in the class, with people at their own level to really understand where they were. And you were able to do it pretty quickly. And you said this, and I, I'm always very interested in that because it's a very organic um, interaction. Then they come to me and then I listen to them very closely to really understand where they're at and what I think needs to change in order for them to really become comfortable and fluent in the conversational read. So the assessment's a very, very real thing for me. If they've done a lot of promo, they have a certain skill set. If they've done a lot of narration or audiobooks, they have a certain skill set. And I need to understand that. And then I'll have them read for me a couple of pieces, and I'll be able to try to understand what is it about their read that makes them sound announcery. I may not teach them that specifically yet, because there are a few things I always like to go through before the talents start to really learn how to listen to themselves very, very closely. The very first exercise I go through with a lot of people is an idea around um, improvising a paraphrase. And what I do is I have them go and find and seek out about a half a dozen sets of song lyrics. And there's a very specific reason why I pick song lyrics. I don't want them to sing them. I want them to just say them. And I'll take maybe three or four couplets out of those song lyrics, and I'll say to them, okay, just read this for me word for word. And they'll read it for word to me word for word. Now, this is content they've chosen. This is content they have an emotional relationship with. It's, it's content that they understand. And then I begin to guide them through a series of prompts so that they can begin to improvise a paraphrase where they'll begin to essentially put, not essentially, truly, they'll begin to truly understand how do I take these words that I know well and turn them into words of my own. It's deeper and different than, than certain classic ideas about know who you're talking to, talk to one person. Talk to one person is such a specific thing, it's almost become a directorial cliche, right? But I say to them, okay, if this is a love song, who is that about? Why is it about them and not somebody else? And I help them get very specific as they improvise new content through content that they're already familiar with. There are about 12 or 15 ideas that I give them. And then out of those ideas, they'll pick one, they'll improvise a paraphrase. I'll redirect them, they'll improvise a second paraphrase. I'll redirect them again, they'll improvise a third paraphrase, and then I'll have them read it word for word on the other side. And inevitably, and especially in the class setting, it's fascinating to hear just how different they sound reading those same words word for word from the beginning to the end. By having them use material that they're comfortable with, that they know already, what that does is that reduces the cognitive load. It takes away the ambiguity of saying, how do I understand this commercial? How do I understand this narration, for example? Because they're improvising with material they're already familiar with. And the prompts that I've designed take them into different places emotionally, but always specifically. And then they begin to be able to generate subtext, which is really the key idea around the conversational read. And then I give them all these ideas. I teach them all these ideas of how to practice, how to actually practice developing a subtext. And then I say, okay, go away. And now go and for the next week, I want you to take five songs a day, make sure they're all different. And I want you to practice improvising a paraphrase that way with content that you're familiar with. And it's messy and it's an imperfect and it's embarrassing, but it stretches them out. And then they come back to me and then I say, fantastic, these are ideas that you seem to be the most attracted to. Now we're going to try to do this again, but now we're going to do with voiceover content. 
Now we're going to do it with commercials. Now we're going to do it with narration because they've practiced how to improvise a paraphrase. And then we build out from there. I teach them about structure. I teach them about narrative responsibility in various voiceover structures. And then that consumes, you know, three, four, maybe six weeks of work sometimes, depending on the way they take to ideas. And then from there, I teach them how to listen. I teach them how to listen to understand this is why an announcer read sounds this way, as opposed to a conversational read. I teach them how to listen to their own rhythm. I teach them how to understand the way that they're using pauses that make something sound announcery as opposed to something sound like it's conversational. And I don't think there's really enough listening being taught in voiceover sometimes, especially how to listen and redirect yourself that way. And at that point, once we've gone through all of that together, then we really start to get into, here's content, here's more content. And I'm constantly putting new content in front of their eyes all the time, all the time, where maybe we'll only go through two commercials in a sitting. Sometimes we'll go through 10 commercials in a sitting. Sometimes they're more comfortable with narrative. Sometimes they're less comfortable with just two and four line tags. But we always go back to certain basic fundamental ideas that they gravitate toward. I give everybody a set of tools and between the two of us, we figure out what tools work best for them and then they can use them to their advantage and to build their skill set out from there. Because they've been exposed to these different tools, then they know they can go over to them if they choose at another time. But at first, I give them the tools and then they figure out which ones just seem to work for them best. And it's just fascinating to watch what people gravitate to and what they don't. Brilliant. I, and I love I love the early focus on what I call vocal awareness, like what does your voice actually sound like and what roles are you actually good for? And oh, yeah, that's a whole thing that I've just started to really get into. I actually put that into a category of what your natural gifts are. I've expanded that definition to beyond just to be just beyond vocal quality because it becomes an idea around if I have knowledge about nursing, for example, I could be really good at explaining in a uh, pharmaceutical commercial what goes on and just still make it sound relatable. If I am a mother, or if I am a father, improvising around that and crafting a specific subtext around that can create warmth and communication around certain kinds of retail. And I think that our gifts have, all, have been narrowly defined at this point to just be male-female, vocal quality, timbre high or timbre low. I think that if we have knowledge base, then we can use that as part of our identity as well and play to that. The very best audiobook readers I know are men and women who deeply love reading and always have. And because they love reading, they find themselves immediately attracted to reading at length, unabridged, extensive, multi-part sagas set in a hypothetical galaxy far, far away. <laughs> so, yeah, so we talked about these ideas of, of, <laughs> of knowing, of being aware, not just of, um, and I say this all the time too, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't feel like you have to create this new VO persona that completely ignores all your prior experience. So based on that, based on kind of building those abilities of, of self and vocal awareness, as well as that conscious ability to analyze and interpret, what other skills do you find that voice actors must do, or excuse me, uh, what are some skills that you feel they must have or some things they must do to be successful? On a really practical level, I think that they have to know what kind of voiceover they're really interested in and go out of their way to pursue that. Especially now as more and more we as talent, talent are making those decisions for themselves. They have to know inherently what they should be auditioning for and should not be auditioning for. And that's not just casting, that's also about the kinds of voiceover. 
Some people are just naturally very good at explaining ideas. So they should be doing explainers and e-learning and things like that. And they should pursue that. It may not be a sexy kind of voiceover, but it pays the bills. That's for sure for plenty of people out there. If they've naturally got the young mom sound, they shouldn't get away from that. They should really embrace that. Because also there's a life expectancy on that sound, right? Young moms get older. And so they become, you know, other kinds of moms that way. So they have to really know where they are and pursue it. They have to pursue different kinds of voiceover because every single kind of voiceover has its own performance practice. And learning those individual performance practices is very, very important. A narration is not an audiobook and a commercial is not a promo. Your audience probably already understands that. But for the people who are just getting involved in voiceover, they may not have internalized that idea quite as effectively. And if you're interested in anime and animation, yeah, that's three quarters of what can carry you through. But You've got to be willing to get out of the consumer mindset and into the performer mindset to say, I love this so much, I'm willing to do all the work to get to perform that kind of work. And that's a big paradigm shift for a lot of people who want to get involved in voiceover. But once you can do that, then you can start to really pursue the opportunities that have the most rewards for you. So you mentioned one thing that I think is going to lead to our next question about knowing what kinds of roles you are right for. And a lot, a lot of times we get auditions from agents and we have to make that decision ourselves whether to audition or not. So a lot of talent, especially new to the business, like we talked about, tend to think getting an agent is a panacea for their career. Once they, once they get that carrot in their, that feather in their cap, they'll be set for life. Is that the case or how important are agents in VO today? That's a tough question. I think it all really is around the kind of work that you want to do and the kind of business model you want to pursue. In the times pre-COVID, you know, in the, in the early teens, let's say, there were still that cadre of talent that were running around the city, auditioning live everywhere they possibly could. And they would love it. They would love it. I have friends who look back on those times fondly of sitting in waiting rooms, of commiserating with other talent, other people in their bracket. And now, even before COVID, they said to me when they weren't going out that way and auditioning that way anymore, they would say to me, I miss that. I miss, oh, you're going over there to this casting office. I'll go with you. I'll hold your baby when you go in and then you'll come out. And when I'm done, we'll go have lunch. They miss that camaraderie, that esprit de corps of being in rooms that way. That's ceased to exist. That business model for the actor running around propagated by agents doesn't exist in the same way anymore. The tricky part of all industries is that if you're not willing to adapt, you're going to die. If you're not willing to get in and say, I can do the work that I'm used to and do it in a different way, people aren't really willing to make lateral moves because they're afraid that lateral moves are going to keep them from moving up the ladder. Yeah, in actuality, though, a lateral move can sometimes create a whole new vertical market you hadn't thought of. I think so. I think so. My clients are, are all around the country now. All around the country, I Zoom with people. I Zoom with people who are up the road from me in Queens. I Zoom with people on the coast. I Zoom with people in the Midwest. And all of them have full-time careers that way. That just didn't happen when I was attached to an agency. So I'm understanding the, the broadening expansion of the voiceover marketplace. Do all those people have agents? Yes. Do they see that as their only source of income? No. Is the agency world under threat? Oh, yeah. And it's been under threat for quite a long time. The six-figure and seven-figure income for voiceover talent, is has that day passed? No. But the only way you're going to get that, I think, and certainly seven figures and high six figures, is through representation. But I do know a number of people who are in the six figures and the upper five figures, and 
they s- seek out and find most of their own work all the time. Is an agent a be-all, end-all? No, not anymore. Was it once? Yes, within recent memory. Is it entirely a thing of the past? No. But it really depends on the way you want to run your life and the things that you want to be doing all day long. So, let's talk about that. For those of people who, uh, if that pursuing representation or even getting or other high-profile clients like production houses or, say, audiobook publishers, how can someone land with someone, of, like, who with a gatekeeper, I should say? <laughs> I don't really have a great answer for that. I can tell you how some people I know landed their agents, but... They're like the origin stories for superheroes, right? They're all different, and you can't replicate them, but we love hearing them. Like one friend of mine was literally sitting in a hair salon, just getting her hair done, talking, and an agent was sitting next to her, turned her head, and said, so tell me what you do with that voice of yours. (laughs) And she was absolutely, the agent was absolutely right, and... My friend was a, a vocal coach, of a singer and a musician and a songwriter. And she got signed after a conversation with the agent that was sitting next to her in the hair salon. I know people that got signed in through showcases where they had no intention whatsoever of even thinking about voiceover. And they got plucked out by an agent who saw them and said, have you ever thought about that? And they, they kind of tur- were like skeptical. But then they found it could be a thing for them. And I know people who spent 10 years banging on that door until they got their very first dodgy animation job. It was actually, he told me it was actually a sound alike for some characters on Celebrity Deathmatch. (laughs) And after 10 years of, of throwing demos against the wall at agencies, once he landed a real job, a job where he got paid, he could have had a conversation and got signed, and then he began to move from agency to agency. And his career went up, and it went down, and up, and went down, and as far as I heard last, he was doing fine, real fine. But it's really, really all over the place. I think in some ways it was summarized this by an agent, summarized this way by an agent who said to me, I used to be able to tell talent when I heard that they were on a certain level, that I would be able to get them work. Now, I can look at talent and I can say to them, you can compete, but I can't guarantee through my own experience, I know that they're going to get that kind of work because the market has changed that much. How do you get in? It's as hard as anything else. You can't get in the way I did. That's impossible. You can't replicate that. Is it about sending demos? You bet. Is it about being prepared for the opportunity that comes to the door when it comes? You bet. Is it about understanding the market and putting yourself in front of as many people as possible? You bet. Is it hard? Yep. <laughs> what, you're not going to tell us the secret formula that I can, that can will guarantee my success? Like I wrote in, in a blog post, you know, in what, 2015? or something like that, there is no silver bullet. There is no one way. If I knew what that was, I would charge a thousand an hour and I would whisper it in people's ears and and bring them in, you know, one by one. People would pay it. <laughs> they certainly would. Well, here we want to shift gears a little bit. And we've talked a lot recently on our show about the future of VO and specifically AI. With your breadth and depth of experience, how do you think artificial intelligence will affect the future of voiceover. Okay. I can only really uh, repeat things that I've read and I can only really, I guess, synthesize, no pun intended, my opinion on it that way. Is AI coming for the jobs? You bet. The, and I know people who have been directly replaced by AI. Some of them have been students of mine. I think a couple of things are going to happen. There's going to be a period of time when AI is going to be adopted and used, and it's going to, when it's going to be used, it's going to be used very unsuccessfully. And I think it's going to have a series of medium to high profile fails that way, like the, the adoption of any technology. Adam Savage on his uh, 
video, his uh, YouTube show called Tested, talked about how when the early transition went from hand-drawn animation to computer animation, the first thing they did was fire all the hand-drawn animators and hire all the computer animators. And the computer animation at the time was terrible <laughs> because what they didn't understand was that they had basically eviscerated their whole knowledge base, their whole experience base, and were just attracted to the, the bright lights of computer animation, as opposed to all of the knowledge base that hand animators had of how to use the tools more successfully. Then some of the, of the hand animators learned how to use the computer animation and gradually things got better and better and better, but there were real mistakes that went on in the industry. AI voices right now in long form to me sound very, very fatiguing because they don't have subtlety, nuance, depth, and subtext. Ironically, you're seeing those used a lot for almost the infomercial style of ads that are now like 45 minutes to an hour long that people are just watching at midnight before they go to sleep, right? Because the they forget to hit skip ad. Yeah, but the, f the messed up thing about that, though, is that they're going to have a they're going to experience really diminishing returns on that. I think where AI is going to be most successful is actually going to be on the high end, because I think it's going to be a lot easier for them to learn how to manipulate four and six and eight lines of text perfectly, as opposed to them manipulating 45 minutes of text out of sheer convenience. That makes sense. And tags too. Imagine and if you tags, could wipe out all and, the and regional tags. tags and things like that. Yeah. But I was watching a friend of mine. She's a speech pathologist out of Boston. And we collaborate on ideas and conversations about work and she's writing books and I'm writing books and things like that. And we've talked quite a bit lately. So I was watching her teach and her focus is on non-native English speakers who want to be able to speak with an American accent. So in the course of this class, she had all of these different people, 12, 15 people from around the world, quite literally around the world. Some were in the States, some were in India. And they were learning to say sentences, phrases, and words that they had picked themselves. How do I say this sentence better? How do I say that sentence better? And Christy was in there and in coaching them how to understand the way that Americans speak. And it's fascinating to watch her do it. She's so good at it. I was so impressed. But as I began to listen, I began to really understand that while they were saying the words correctly, there was no depth or intention around the statements. There was no subtext to what they were saying. And as I listened to them, I began to become fatigued because I began to realize I hear what they're saying, but I don't know what they're talking about or how they feel about it. And to me, that's the biggest challenge that AI is going to have to, the biggest hurdle that they're going to have to jump. Are they going to be able to really do that in a four-hour audiobook? Every subtlety, every nuance, to where a listener isn't going to just turn that off? And even now, I shut off automated, you know, text-to-speech ads when they come up in periodicals. Listen to this article. I listen to it, and it's a synthesized voice. I shut it off immediately because I may be interested in the content, but I don't want to hear that voice. But there's a whole company called Autumn that the New York Times recently acquired for several million dollars that does nothing except hire voice actors to read content for the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Atlantic Monthly, all of these huge huge publishers subcontract out the reading of their articles for their Sunday sections, for their features, to real live human beings still. And the Times finds that so valuable that in, I think it was in this calendar year, they bought that company outright. So to me, long form will stay. It's really short form with residuals. 
that I think is really under some of the greatest threat that way because they can spend the time to get in there and machine shape that performance into one thing and not have to pay residuals on it, even if they have to spend dozens and dozens of hundreds and hundreds of hours to perfect it. I think that may not be as far off as we would want it to be. Interesting, because that's definitely a bit of a, I don't know if I want to say unpopular opinion, but maybe one that people aren't willing to consider. And because um, we always hear like, oh, it's all the low, the low budget, the low profile, the e-learning stuff. And frankly, like you, I'm like, if people aren't going to listen or want to learn from a machine that can't connect. So I don't know. And also, since I have a vested interest in that, it's my bread and butter one. I don't want it to go away. So <laughs> I'll, I'll take your stance on that. And again, this is just conjecture on my part. I've seen a lot of people talk about it. And when I heard people's rationale, one is talking about budget and the other ones were talking about subtlety and nuance and expression. And I began to think to myself, and granted, because I deal in subtlety, nuance and expression, when I'm coaching people how to do conversational, maybe that's where I feel I might be at most jeopardy too. I don't know. But I couldn't fault the logic. If you're willing to pay somebody tens of thousands of dollars to perfect eight lines of copy, and you don't have to give that talent residuals, why wouldn't you? Yeah, that's a, like Sean said, that's a take we have not heard, but I definitely am starting to come to your side of thinking on that. Interesting. So aside from AI, what do you think the future of VO looks like? Do you think we'll go back to... Uh, the before times where everyone's traveling around the city auditioning. Do you think home studios will continue to proliferate? Do you I don't think... know, boys. You know, give me a, a definition of the future. I mean, when James Allberger asked me to, you know, write that essay, I he asked me about the future too. I don't know why people want to talk to me about the future because it's so damn easy to just get it wrong. I'm always loath to prognosticate. Do I think? Do I think that the home studio is here to, sit, to stay? Yeah, absolutely. Do I think that in-person casting is a thing of the past? I think de facto, yeah, because it's just too easy for all parties involved to do it remotely. I mean, do I think that sessions will only be recorded in home studios? Not only, no, but do I think that they're going to far and away be in home studios? Yeah. Was that a trend that was going on before COVID? Sure. Absolutely. Has COVID concretized that? Yeah. I, I think it probably will. I also think that there's going to be a lot of satisfaction people are going to find from the in the differences between being in the same room with talent and auditioning talent in the same room, that they'll come back and appreciate it in a different way. Do I think that it'll balance out I don't know. Probably not. But we're just on, like, the light at the end of the tunnel has now become real. It's not just a flicker anymore. It's an actual thing where we can point to it and say, there it is. The end is there. And we're moving toward getting out of this chaos. But we still don't know the impact and the fallout of all of it. Every answer that I wrote in... Every prognostication, not answer, what was an answer to a question, every prophecy I made in Allberger's book about that same topic has completely been upended by what's happened in the last 18 months. And you can't downplay it because nobody really knows. Nobody really knows. I'm impressed that the industry has continued to thrive and survive the way it has. I really am. That means a lot more people want to be involved which is challenging because, you know, you get a crowded market and then suddenly labor costs can go down. But nobody expected that. Will that produce a different kind of voiceover actor? I think so. There's a big difference between the actor who's trained to respond to direction and perform in the moment, as opposed to the actor who can sit there and hear themselves objectively and self-direct and produce their own vocals, and record in an environment that can do it. It's a really, really different thing. But COVID has taken all the game pieces and thrown them up in the air, and nobody knows what board we're going to be playing on in one year, two years, or even five years. Fair enough. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Hugh. Where can folks find out more about you if they want to work with you? So I'd like them to reach out to me directly if they're interested at hughpklitsky at gmail.com. And there are three things I'd like to do for your listeners. So number one, I'd like to give your listeners, uh, I'd like to barter with your listeners, actually, for a few things. I'd like to give them an hour of coaching for free if they were willing to be beta readers for the books that I've mentioned. If they were willing to sit and read and give me real feedback on draft material for either of the books that I mentioned, fill out a form, maybe even have a conversation on that with me, I'd love to give them an hour of of my coaching time in exchange for that. Number two, because conversational is new for me as a focus, a professional training focus, I'm trying to develop a class that focuses only on the conversational read. So if people were interested in being beta testers for my class, I'd be willing to give them a steeply, steeply discounted rate. The class couldn't be free because a lot of these ideas I've already put into practice, so they'd be helping me test out new ideas. But I'm really looking for about 12 people who would be interested in coming in and taking maybe a four or maybe even a six-week class for less than the price of a single solo session with me. I'd like to give that to your listeners if they were interested in that. And third of all, I'd like to waive the price of the intake session for me if they were interested in just simply studying with me privately. There's a small fee around the first hour of intake with me before we find out whether or not we're a good fit. I'd like to waive that if they were interested in coming to me exclusively just for private voiceover. Well, that is more than generous, you. So once my my, uh, books are ready to see the light of day, I'm I'm hoping you guys will have me back to talk about them. Absolutely. I think I'm taking advantage of some of those perks myself. But that's exceedingly generous of you, Hugh. Thank you so much for making that offer. I'm sure you're going to be flooded with people trying to take advantage of that. Let me spell it out. H-U-G-H-P-K-L-I-T-Z-K-E at gmail.com. Reach out to me if you'd like or be interested in any of those things. I can't take everybody. I'm really looking for people who don't know me, who I've never worked with, so I can get that real kind of honest feedback that I'm looking for, because that's really the way I think that you know that you're putting good work out there. And this industry needs the best work it can possibly get. And I enjoy very much participating in that work. All right, Hugh, thanks again for being here on the VO Meter. And we hope to see you in person at maybe Uncle Roy's or another event soon. I can't wait. Thanks, guys. Walgreens, because it's flu season. You live in a place with doorknobs and handrails and, you know, people. We tried booking a vacation rental on one of those other websites. They don't always tell you everything. The stars take it to the red carpet. We are back live from the red carpet. California leads the way for change in America, and so does Kamala Harris. Rated M for Mature. Claire Redfield. And who exactly are you? So, yeah, what hashtag should I use to describe a grown man in a tuxedo wrestling a goat? Prior to 1933, many of them belonged to a variety of political parties that were now outlawed in Germany. This is the story of how Q got curly. Quinn was crazy about curls. Curly fries, curly straws, curly-haired dogs. Hey, Jay Michael here. Thanks for listening to the VO Meter Podcast. It's one of my favorites. If you're looking for a great demo like the ones you just heard, check out jmcdemos.com for more information. And welcome back. Thanks to Hugh for that interview. I've been, let's say, chasing Hugh for about three years now. I first <laughs> first met him at Uncle Roy's Barbecue three years ago, and somebody introduced me to him and said, hey, you should have Hugh on the podcast. And we talked, and I said, yeah, let's do it. And then we just kind of forgot, or I don't. I didn't really do a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of chasing. In, in all honesty, not because I didn't want to have Hugh on, but I sort of forgot about it. And we've had such great guests on. We've been so so lucky to have people on that it just we just felt like we never had time. But uh, I saw him again at Uncle Roy's last year and said we got to make this happen. So it was great to finally have him on and love what he had to say. 
Yeah, I've been a big fan of his blog for a couple of years. Um, I was introduced to it on on VoiceOver Extra, VO for the actor. And then um, I've always, like, I really enjoyed his presentation at VO Atlanta. It was almost like he, he's got such a facility with language and he's a very eloquent speaker. It was almost like listening to a poetry reading. <laughs> it was really interesting. Yeah, and thanks to VO Atlanta for, uh, for setting that up because we did talk to him before the conference and that's where we finally connected and said, let's do a full episode. Building those sweet, sweet connections. So that wraps up this episode of the VO Meter. Measuring your voiceover progress. Coming up, we have voice actor John Malone, who's been nominated for several awards and is based out in L.A. And then following that, we'll be representing the podcast again at the Vocation Conference. Again, it's eVocation, which means it's virtual, on Friday, June 11th through Sunday, June 13th. So stay tuned for that, and we'll catch you in the next one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the VO Meter. To follow along, visit us at www.vometer.com. We'd also love to hear your comments or suggestions for the show. Or if you have a questionable gear purchase, tell us all about it on our Facebook page or on Twitter at the VO Meter.